With the sinking of the Titanic, attention was turned to how passenger ships could be safer. It brought to mind past disasters, including a ship that had also sailed under a British flag. Its name appeared beside the names of La Borgogna, the General Slocum, and the Princess Alice as one of the worst shipping disasters ever, though many of the papers disagreed on the spelling of the ship's name. A majority called it the Nam Chow, though some others wrote Nan Chow, and others made the name two words rather than one. The name seemed a moot point in any case. What mattered was the cost of lives in the disaster, which was agreed to have been between 400 and 500 lost. Hello, and welcome to the Shipwreck Archive. Thank you. Would you happen to have the story, The Neglected Nam Chao? Here we are. Enjoy! The Nam Chao had been launched from the Neptune Yard, a Tyne shipyard in 1870, although she had started her life as a fat choy. The 1,109-ton ship was a single-screw steamer that hit 9.5 knots in her trials, built to carry both passengers and cargo. She was put to use immediately in Britain's trade with China. She would go through six different owners before finally becoming the Nam Chao, and go through multiple names. Her third owner named her the Vixen, and her fifth owner named her the Anna de Sala. Under her sixth owner, she was named the Vlanderen. In 1889, she was acquired by her final owners, Chua Yu Pong of Penang, and received the name Nam Chao. Soon after acquiring her, the new owners were forced to replace her engines, and then she began her work in local trade something that the aging vessel was better suited to than traveling halfway around the world, as she had been previously. The Nam Chao did not maintain a good reputation in her new work for long. In 1891, the captain of the Nam Chao was arrested for having violated quarantine laws for having brought cholera into Singapore. It was a serious charge. He was accused of having hidden over 50 people passing away on his voyage and putting in the official port documents that he only lost six. Three members of the crew to influenza and three members from opium withdrawal. He claimed that everyone on board his ship on his arrival to Singapore was healthy. It was only once he hurriedly left Singapore again and the people who had traveled with him began to show signs of cholera were more questions asked, and his deceit was discovered. It was a scandal large enough that it almost matched the coverage of her fate in the local papers, and on his return to Singapore, the captain was immediately arrested. He was replaced by a new captain, Captain Alexander Lee, who had years of experience trading from Hong Kong and the Straits. This was not the only thing to taint the reputation of the Nam Chao. The former chief officer of the Nam Chao, A.G.W. Ellis, would write that the vessel was notoriously bad at sea when traveling light, and when the seas were heavy, it would become necessary to bring her almost to a stop for safety reasons. 
When this was done, the crew would have almost no control over the ship, and she would become completely unmanageable. It was concerning, but not something that would stop her from going out to sea or cause her owners to try to remedy the situation, especially since fixing it most likely would have required extensive work. There are few records from her past owners, so it is hard to tell if it is a problem she always had or if it had developed over the years of use and modifications. In the words of a newspaper trying to describe what had occurred to the ship, quote, she is by no means a new vessel, end quote. Another newspaper writer added, quote, the vessel had not a good reputation on the coast among those who knew her, end quote. Around 8 p.m. on the 6th of January, 1892, the Nam Chao left Hong Kong on a routine voyage, intending to travel directly to Amoy, modern Xiamen. On board, she had an estimated 68 crew members and between 400 and 500 passengers. She was sailing straight into a monsoon. For a ship with a reputation for being a poor sailor, the rough weather was a heavy challenge to go against, and by 9 p.m. on the 7th, the ship had only reached Breaker Point. The ship was fighting through large waves when her bow plunged into the water, lifting her stern out of the water entirely. It proved fatal. The regulators did not have the power to control the shaft when the propeller was out of the water, and the propeller shaft snapped in two. With this, the ship's engine stopped to the alarm of those on board. The supercargo of the ship, a man named Chin Sang, went to Captain Lee to find out what had happened. Captain Lee told him that the crankshaft had broken between the thrust block and the aft crank, but Captain Lee did not seem concerned by the damage. He told Chin Sang that he hoped the engineers would be able to repair the damage in a few hours, though he admitted that the crankshaft had gone through the bottom of the ship, making a hole under the engine room through which the water was quickly coming in. Chin Seng was not comfortable with the situation. They were only four miles from Breaker Point, and he suggested to Captain Lee that they should send one of the ship's officers to Swateau for help. Captain Lee agreed, and second mate Leslie, who was on watch, was told to look for a passing fishing vessel that could be hired to take an officer on the errand. The idea was soon abandoned, though. The seas were so rough that it was decided that it would take too long to reach Swateau, and by the time any help did arrive, it would be too late. They instead set sails in the hopes of being able to get the ship close to shore, or aground if needed. Chin Seng also suggested that they signal any nearby steamers for help, and around 10 p.m., the blue lanterns and rockets were gotten ready. Captain Lee still seemed unconcerned about the whole incident, and suggested that the supercargo go to bed. Meanwhile, Captain Lee headed to the bridge. Chin Seng followed the captain's advice, and as he headed to his berth, he could see the carpenters working on repairs to the bottom of the ship with planks 
trying to stop the incoming water. About an hour later, Captain Lee did come to him for the rockets and lanterns he had suggested previously, but after this, Chin Seng was able to sleep through the night. He was awakened around five in the morning by the sound of chaos above him. One of the passengers, a man named Tiao Kiat Seng, would later give his account to the newspapers, though it suffered from double translation in the English papers, since Tiao Kiat Seng spoke very little Malay, and had to have his story told to the papers for him through a friend, and then the papers translated this story to English. His story does capture the confusion and fear felt by the passengers, who were not told what had occurred, unlike the supercargo. For the passengers, the ship simply suddenly stopped, and the engineer was suddenly very busy. Many of the passengers almost immediately rushed for the lifeboats that were hanging from davits and got into them, but nothing happened, and most of the passengers went to sleep after the initial panic, including Tiao Kat Seng. During the night, the steamer Heilong passed near the position of the Nam Chao, but did not observe any signs of distress. There were no lanterns lit or any rockets. They did not even observe any normal lights from the Nam Chao. It was also reported that, at some time during the night, the sails were taken in, meaning that the ship was no longer heading toward the possible safety of the shore. The exact chain of events is difficult to determine. Every account has them a little different due to what was clearly a confusing and chaotic time. Tiao Ketseng awoke around four in the morning due to a loud noise coming from the engine room. On being asked what had caused the noise, Captain Lee had no explanation, but the ship was now settling to stern and had developed a starboard list overnight. On going to investigate, Chao Katseng found that the water was between decks now, having risen a good deal during the night, and that coal was floating on the water, making it clear that the original source of the water was the engine room. Captain Lee informed Chao Katseng that there was nothing he could do. It was not a statement that was likely to inspire confidence. When Chao Katseng came back out onto the deck, he found that the panic on deck among the passengers had resumed. The passengers had rushed the boats, hanging from the davits again, and three of the seven boats that the Nam Chao carried were already gone. Tiao Katseng was told that they had attempted to lower these boats, but the passengers rushed them, and they were sunk. Chief Engineer Kelly went to his cabin and got a revolver, and threatened to use it if the passengers did not clear the lifeboats for a more orderly evacuation. But he was met with indifference from the passengers, who refused to remove themselves from the boats, saying that it would be no different from drowning. At which time, the chief engineer seems to have given up. Chief Engineer Hamilton at least did what he could to remain calm by all accounts, and did what he thought might bring order to the panic situation. Captain Lee seems to have given up. When Ching Seng went to find him after waking up and asked Captain Lee what was wrong with the ship, Captain Lee told the supercargo, Nothing at all. She is all right. 
It was an unbelievable statement, and Shinseng pressed him on the panicked passengers, the water in the ship, and the ship's starboard list. Captain Lee told him, It is nothing. I have sent men to sea. The captain's cabin was across the hall from the supercargo's room, and he went into it and closed the door. When Xing Seng tried to follow him, he found that the door was locked. A few minutes afterward, Captain Lee exited his room with a revolver and headed to the bridge. Unlike Chief Engineer Hamilton, however, Captain Lee used his gun on himself. The Nam Chao no longer had anyone in command, and she was settling quickly now. Now rockets were being fired constantly, and blue lights were being shown from the bridge, but the surrounding fishing junks were afraid to get too close to the ship, out of fear that when she sank, they would be dragged down as well. The only junk that did attempt a rescue was smashed and overturned by the rush of people trying to escape the ship. Adding an extra deterrent for any other fishing boat that thought of attempting it. Chin Seng now gathered together some of his friends with the intention of finding a place in the starboard quarter boat, which already contained 20 passengers. Once they got on board of it, however, the boat capsized, and only himself and two other people managed to scramble back on board the ship. Once more, Chin Seng found himself a place in a boat, this time the boat hanging over the stern. As this boat was lowered, she was stove in, and Chin Seng was forced to return to the sinking Nam Chao once again. Chief Engineer Hamilton made an appeal to him to try to help bring order to the ship and make it an orderly evacuation, but Chin Seng did not feel as though there was a chance of it at this point. The passengers had managed to lower the starboard quarterboat, and 37 people managed to get on board it, including a woman, three children, and Chin Seng. For the next two hours, they fought their way through the stormy waves before they reached a junk and were able to climb on board her. In the distance, they reported seeing a yellow funnel of a steamer, but they assumed that it did not see them since it kept going. On board the Nam Chao, Chief Engineer Hamilton kissed his wife and put her on a lifeboat that remained on the starboard side of the ship. In it was also the second engineer and many of the other crew members of the ship. The third engineer had announced that he would avoid the overcrowded boats entirely and take his chances clinging to the wreckage once the ship went down. Once the chief engineer had placed his wife in the lifeboat, he rushed back to his cabin. It was assumed he was going to grab some valuables to take with him. Unfortunately, the ship gave a final lurch and sank suddenly. Taking not only him along with it, but also the final lifeboat, with his wife and crew on board, since they had not cast off fast enough. On board of their lifeboat, Chin Seng and the others could see the ship sink, as well as people struggling in the water and clinging to the wreckage. Among those that they could see was Mrs. Hamilton, who was clutching a piece of the bridge, but in the stormy sea, people quickly sank below the water before anyone could reach them. Chief Officer Kelly, who had replaced Ellis when he had left the ship, was seen swimming for a short while before he too disappeared. Chin Seng's lifeboat, turning back, 
was not an option. It would take too long for them to be of any assistance, and their boat was already overcrowded. Some of the local fishing boats now got close, however, and 13 more people were saved, bringing the total number of survivors to 50. Four members of the crew and 46 passengers. It was noted that a quarter of an hour after the Namchow sank, the survivors saw the steamship they had seen before, with the yellow funnel, coming within a quarter of a mile of the wreck, and then leave, not making any rescue efforts. The survivors were taken to shore, and landed where they were treated with kindness. They were given money and sent with an escort to Swatow, which was a three-day walk on foot. From there, they were placed on board the charter steamer, the China, which brought them to Amoy. The news of the sinking Nam Chao preceded them, however. It turned out that the yellow funnel they had seen belonged to the American vessel, the Meifu, which arrived in Hong Kong with the news that they had seen a wrecked ship. The HMS Porpoise was immediately sent out to investigate, but on reaching the wreck found that only bits of wreckage remained, and there was no one left to rescue. In the meantime, the three days that it took the survivors to reach Swatow allowed ample time for speculation in the papers as to what had happened to her. Former Chief Officer Ellis, who had been forced to leave the Nam Chao the month before due to a severe case of bronchitis, speculated that the Nam Chao was such a bad sailor that if she had gotten into a swell, she could have easily gotten stuck in the trough and then flooded by the waves crashing down on her, which would have extinguished her engines and then doomed her. Other people in the newspaper latched onto how few members of the crew had survived and the high number of junks that had been seen around the ship, and speculated that the ship had been robbed and sunk by pirates. It was not until the survivors reached Amoy that the true story began to be told. In Hong Kong, the Meifu's log was examined and found highly questionable. At 8.10, the Meifu recorded seeing the Nam Chao go down full of passengers, and at 8.35, the Meifu recorded that she was back on course having at no time recorded slowing or stopping to offer aid to the struggling humanity in the sea. There was a hope that the inquiry into the sinking of the Nam Choi would hold Captain Lunt of the Meifu accountable for his actions, as well as have the Ellis on the stand to answer the questions that much of the public had about the character of his shipmates. There were also questions about how it was that the Nam Chao had passed inspection if she truly was as poor of a ship as the people along the coast and Ellis said. The people who hoped for answers were disappointed. In a scathing editorial in the Straits Independent and Penang Chronicle on the 10th of February, 1892, the writer tore into every aspect of the inquiry that had taken place. He admitted that the president of the inquiry was a capable man, that he was fully occupied in routine work, and that he could only suppose that when there was extra business of this kind, he was anxious to get rid of it as quickly as possible. None of the Chinese witnesses were called. The British-run inquiry protested that they did not have the jurisdiction to call them, nor did they feel they could call Captain Lunt of the Meifu since he was an American. 
They admitted that they could have called on these men through the diplomatic channels that were available in Hong Kong, but it seems as though no effort was made to do so. Indeed, no witnesses at all were called. Not even former Chief Officer Ellis, who could have easily been made available to them. Instead, the conclusion of the inquiry was simple and short. Painfully short for anyone who was hoping for answers. Quote, In spite of attempted repairs, the vessel foundered at about 8 a.m. on the 8th instantly. All of the Europeans on board and between 300 and 400 of the passengers and crew were lost. End quote. Of particular frustration to the person who authored the editorial were the callous-sounding words of the inquiry, quote, not more than 491 passengers, end quote. Per the editorial, perhaps if it had been 4,000, or if a British admiral had been drowned, it might have created some sort of languid interest. But not more than 491 was not worth bothering about. Soon, it was the only number that remained in most accounts. The smallest of mentioned the Nam Chao sank in 1892. One of the worst shipping disasters under the British flag until the Titanic overshadowed it completely. For more information, please see the loss of the Nam Chao in the Straits Independent and Penang Chronicle from the 23rd of January, 1892. Or see our other sources in the description below. Thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting the Shipwreck Archives. See you soon.